Hey, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in to Therapy Insiders Podcast. On this episode, we talk about pain. And we're, we're kind of spoiled because we have a leader in manual therapy, in pain sciences, in an eclectic approach. Dr. Erson Religioso is a co-host. So it's nice to bring in somebody else that lives in the world of pain. Not a professional wrestler or anything like that, but somebody that deals with it, that talks about it, that lectures, that writes, that treats it. And that is our guest, Perry Nicholson, on this episode. Um, One, I just really wanted to have somebody on the episode named Perry because of Perry Cox on Scrubs. You ever watch that show? One of my favorite TV show comedies. Excellent writing, I believe. Anyway, back to the introduction. Perry shared some really interesting insights. We had some really cool back and forths on pain. Um, Some of his topics, I'm sure, will get some questions and controversy, and you'll want to know more about it. But I think if you stick around to the end and hear Perry's personal story about how he faced the health system and life and death, I think it really brings the entire episode together. So have a listen, let us know what you think, and we hope that you enjoy this episode. And now, let's hear a word from our sponsor. You know, we're big fans of business here at Therapy Insiders and UpDoc Media. That's why I'm incredibly excited to attend and present with my partner, Dr. Ben Fung, at Ascend Business Summit in Fort Worth, Texas on September 9th and 10th. Stick around to the end of this episode where I share a little bit more information about the Ascend Business Summit, as well as a special discount code for you, our listeners, just because, well, you're awesome for $100 off of your tickets. All right, let's get into this episode of Therapy Insiders with guest Perry Nicholson discussing pain. to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Dr. Gene Shirakabrad here with Dr. Erson Relihi Oso. Erse, how are you doing, Ed? I'm well, Gene. How, how are you? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. It's been hectic, a little bit more hectic than usual, I would say, with a bunch of stuff we have going on. You're coming into town next week. Um, depending on when this episode plays, I think it will play pretty soon. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I think we'll have a good conversation. But it's just, you know, it's crazy, man, with all the business stuff going on with uh, Zoe just turned four months old, which is kind of insane. Wow. Um, not, not quite sure. Not quite sure what day of the week it is, which is also kind of par for the course for me. Um, so it's just been nonstop, man. What about you? Well, Kiko turned four months uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I think probably at the last podcast, I was like, <laughs> I couldn't believe that you actually asked me how well he was sleeping. But um, he is definitely sleeping better. And, and Nicole actually saw Jim Gaffigan. We went on our first date for a while. He fussed for a little bit when, his, when our new sitter um, went to him. And then he didn't wake up till five in the morning. It was pretty amazing. So we've been on like multiple dates since then. It's uh, It's been good. Um, you know, but that's all bound to change when he like pops a tooth or whatever. So I'm going to knock on wood right now. 
keep keep knocking man when those teeth start coming it's 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 tough yeah i hear it's kind of painful like they liken it to a bone spontaneously protruding from your body you know almost like wolverine's claws but without yeah that sounds terrible without the without, without the coolness yeah. and and with a lot of lack of sleep right i don't think he's for a lack of sleep he actually heals his healing factor little known geek fact he heals he bleeds every time but he actually heals when when it comes out when the Uzun's claws come out and he heals i don't think that the, i don't think that's even a geek fact at this point i think that's that's fairly well established it wasn't that well established the first time his healing factor uh was busted and he popped his claws and he started ble- he was bleeding the whole time people were like oh my gosh that hasn't happened in the movies which is why most geeks don't know it yeah i mean that's his superpower is the healing factor right. the, and the bones and the adamantium is just that's just bonus that's just a cherry on the really really pretty cool top that's right so but th- this podcast is already quickly spiraling out of control yeah. um but to bring it back speaking speaking of painful things and and pain in, in general and badasses. I think, uh, <laughs> and badasses um without any any bones protruding through the body um i think we're, we're gonna have a, a fairly fairly good conversation on pain everything pain today and um uh, maybe maybe go into some controversial stuff. I don't know. I don't know. You're the pain pain expert, pain specialist here. So why don't you go ahead and introduce our other pain specialist oh, friend? Oh gosh, let's call me a pain expert, man. The more I learn about pain, the, the I, I realize the less I know. Like, oh, will you stop it to, and just introduce I just our guest? Stop reading research for a while so I can get confident in my own knowledge just again. Stop it. Uh, stop. Like stop chasing pain. You mean or stop it? Anyway, our guest tonight. One of the OGs of social media. I contacted him on Facebook a long time ago because literally I had no idea what he was writing. Something about uh, like a toe extensor affecting a masseter. I don't know, something like that. You may know him as Dr. Perry from Stop Chasing Pain. He has time to actually post on Facebook more than Gene and I do, which is a lot. Um, That is a lot and impressive. Right. Welcome, Perry. How's it going, buddy? We go hey, way back. Yeah, we sure do. Hey, guys, man, I was just enjoying sitting back listening to the show here. It was good. And I'm, I'm glad I could step up to be one of the painful things to join your show. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> not not even close, man. If, if you listen to some of the episodes, we've had some some incredible painful conversations. But, well, but we're, we're just getting here. started, man. You never know how it's going to spiral. Right. Isn't, isn't it no pain, no gain? Isn't, isn't that how it works? That's what I hear. Yeah. yeah no pain, exactly. no pain. Is what I say. <laughs> we got some coming, absolutely, and we'll definitely go down some controversial highways and paths, man. That's where I love to go. Oh yeah, I hear. Uh, you know, Harry is uh, among other things, and one of the instructors for NKT, and that in itself is a technique that is pretty much steeped in controversy. <laughs> Yeah, you can say that. Yeah, imagine early on when nobody knew what the hell it was. I was one of the first early adopters uh, of it. And then uh, when I was making posts about it back then, people thought I was batshit crazy. And they still do, which is fine by me. What is NKT? Like, what the heck are you talking about, dude? Like, what, what? Yeah, well, so, I mean, I, what is it? 
Um, well, I mean, it's a it's a, an assessment technique called neurokinetic therapy, and it's something I came across. She's uh, going on five years ago now when I started to investigate the word. I was actually searching the word motor control on Google and uh, looking at some of the work of MAT, muscle activation technique, and uh, it just coincided together. It just sort of resonated with me because I'm I'm in, I don't even have a freaking box, man. When I look at somebody, so I, you know I'm I'm going beyond just a side of pain for many, many years. And uh, it just made sense to me. And then I started to use it and teach it. And, you know, it, it's great stuff. So I, I use a lot of different tools uh, in my practice with what I do. And that's just one. So let's go down, let's go down that rabbit hole of pain. And um, so it's, <laughs> that's a short it's, hole. <laughs> it's, it's a short and incredibly wide hole. Yeah. Um, so pain is incredibly unique, but widespread, right? Everybody experiences it in a somewhat unique way. There, there's yeah. obviously similarities between everybody. Um, but it is, it is something that most of us, if not all of us will experience at some point in our life, right? It's pretty, maybe nearly impossible to go through life and not experience some level of pain, oh, yeah. at least when you, when you can tell what it is, yeah. right? Uh-huh. So why, why is there such a huge, um, not necessarily mis- misunderstanding, but why is there such a huge divide on how to deal with pain, how to treat pain and just how to approach it? Oh, dude, I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know what? I, that's it, it's just ridiculous. And, and uh, but human you know, human beings in general like to overcomplicate the shit out of everything. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things out there saying what pain is this or, you know, pains in the brain and all sorts of cool stuff. And I'm like, that's great, Sparky. But can you tell me something I actually do with that shit you just told me? So it's uh, real world application stuff that I'm looking for. So was, I, that, was that Sparky or Dr. Sparky? It could be I'm, anyone, you know, makes a difference. It's, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's always great research coming out on pain, but listen, pain is this, there's no objectivity to pain whatsoever. It's all subjective. You know, I mean, I've got a guy who's got a paper cut and he's sucking his thumb in the corner, calling for his mommy. And I got a Navy SEAL who's missing an arm saying it's a flesh wound. I don't feel anything. So we already know that it doesn't correlate with tissue damage. And, uh, you know, they say it's, uh, brain based. And I'm like, okay, well, well then that's great, but you got to show me something I can do to influence the brain and the perception of pain. So it's really all about perception. So if I can change your perception of your body and I can change your perception of your environment, I think I can change your pain. So to me, I have one single definition for what pain is. Pain is a request for change. That's your brain and your body telling you, hey, I don't like something. You better change it. And it's really kind of come down to you. I mean, it's a self-responsibility aspect. I need you to change a habit in your life, something that you're doing or not doing. And to me, the easiest things you can change is one, how you think, and two, how you move. And one feeds the other. Yeah, I would say it's easier to change the movement. But man, you've evolved since the last time we did an interview. I think I think I have too. We were pretty biomechanical last time we interviewed each other. So Yeah, I'm so far beyond that. Yeah. That's good. Some people don't change, you know. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, the thing about change is, I mean, it happens anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you right. just when don't it, see it. You know, whether you're doing it or not. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you made a lot of great points there, and it's something we talk about a lot here with with other experts. I mean, if you want to change someone's pain, you need to change their behavior. Although I would disagree. I would say 
it's it's much easier to, easier to change movement than it is someone's behavior. I mean, some people can change their behavior because they're just adjustable people, and other people are stubborn or they don't believe whatever you try to do, whether it's a physical thing, a mental thing, or any combination of you know behavioral change. And I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, the way you can change behavior is to change movement, right? I mean, you put yourself in a different sensory environment and your muscles react to environment, right? So you've got the individual, which is a big part of it, but you got the task that you're asking them to do. And then you got the environment. Those are the three things that are going to impact movement. But, you know, there's some people that are just freaking miserable all the time. They, you know, they make themselves uh, pain. So pain is in the brain. And most people just got to get out of their own way. And I, I can show you uh, things that you can do, uh, to help, help yourself get where you want to go, assuming that things aren't permanently broken, which sometimes happen. Um, but you know, it's, you've always asked people, I mean, is it your job to change someone's life? And everybody says, yes. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not your job. It's their job. You've just got to be there to, uh, coach them and try to educate them. But you know, it's like, I can't take you down the road and force you, but I can show you where it is. But, you know, there's many of times where I've chosen not to work with somebody uh, because, you know, I, if you're not taking it seriously enough to, to do what I'm showing you, then I'm not. <laughs> and uh, it sounds pretty harsh, but I got a lot of people out there that want my help and need my help and that have been suffering for many, many years and tried all this kind of, you know, normal stuff, you might say, right? The, the, the typical path, you know, and then I say, well, I mean, if, if that normal, typical stuff is no longer working for you, then you're much more open to go down what I call the crazy shit path stuff that that's like I post up that people just don't have any sense of. But you know what? When you've been suffering in pain for a long period of time and everybody's told you this, 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 and the test shows this, 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 and you're not any better, well, then why not look somewhere else? I think it's an absolute disgrace that somebody doesn't. So you're like the tour guide on the crazy shit path? Yeah, I'm actually the conductor, man. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a symphony, crazy shit symphony. Yeah, um, exactly. So you said something that I think is um, very, very astute and... Um, Holy cow, we better write this down. And resonates. Just one thing, though. Let's not get carried away. Okay, I'll um, take it. Perception. I think I think you're absolutely right that it comes down to perception and, and not just pain in life. Most things in life are perception. You perceive something and then you either run away from it or you try to prove that perception right um, through action. And I feel like what I hear, what I read a lot is people talking about this perception. Um, a lot of experts come to the point of um, calling out or, or just saying what the perception is, the perception of pain. And that then there's no follow through. And even, even when dealing with bio, biopsychosocial, right, perception is the, the psychology part of it. Um, but the social and the bio part, I feel like get lost in the mix. And if, if you, if you call out somebody's perception, if you say, look, I understand what your perception is, which is big, right? A lot of people don't do that. That comes down to a relationship that comes down to relating that comes down to your, your social skill and your psychological skill of connecting with the person in front of you, which is incredibly hard. It takes a lot of skill in itself to build up that ability to, to break down the barrier, break down the shit. Um, and grab them by the hand and say, I understand. 
But then what? If, if you meet them at the perception and then you don't follow through and you don't take them to the next step of saying, look, I understand what your perception is. Here's why it's right. Here's why it's wrong. Here's what we do. Does anything happen after that? Or are you just, I mean, are you just talking shit at that point? <laughs> well, I mean, I think coming to the conclusion that it is perception and that you have the power because a lot of people don't feel empowered to take back control of their life from pain. I mean, they feel victimized, especially when they speak to somebody who's got a white coat on and tells them everything's related to, uh, you know, it, it, where the side of pain is, is where your problem is, which is the worst rookie mistake ever. Um, and then uh, tapping into their ability to uh, make a difference uh, in their, in their pain. And to me, the, the easiest way I've been able to help people change their perception of pain. I mean, you know, it takes, it's like Greg Cook, my mentor says, you know, it takes a habit to make that pattern. It's going to take a habit to break it. It doesn't happen overnight. So a lot of that is just really being with somebody, being open to them and saying that and say, listen, I mean, I, I've been where you are. I know what you're going through. And, um, but, movement for me is it. So I always get people into an environment where they have a perception of being uh, safe when they move. And you know, that's the whole, what my whole program is based on is finding that what I call that neural edge where I can see by reading your body signals and uh, your, your movement patterns and your blinking and your breathing of whether your body is going crazy and whether it's very, very vulnerable and it's going to shut down and you're not going to make progress. So the biggest contention I have is I think 99.9% .9 of the exercises we give to people are too, too far beyond their threshold of um, feeling safe and comfortable in a comfort zone and they're in a state of vulnerability whether they consciously realize it or not it's a non-conscious one and when you take them back to that and what I call primal parts of your brain which is you know is it gonna hurt me can I eat it or can I sleep with it I mean that's the three drivers of life right there I mean plain and simple so if I, if I can tap into at least that fear part right I mean the sleeping part hey I'll do it but you've paid me extra and so once I get that for you I've seen absolute crazy things uh crazy shit stuff happen for people so at least in my world that's what I do and and honestly I'll tell you that you know I'm, I've chosen over my years of practice where I've made it very specialized where I typically only deal with very chronic difficult hard to fix cases that have been to a lot of other places for help so I have the I don't know if the right word is luxury but I know that most of the red flags that are going to be a concern for someone has been ruled out. Like you don't have stage four cancer that's causing your back pain, or you've said you've got a thing where you've got to get surgeries, no bones about it. And that we know for sure from the test, or you've had surgery and then you're still screwed up. So when you come in to see me, I know everybody has looked at point A that hurts. So it's very easy for me to say, well, I got an idea. Let's just look for the rest of the alphabet. Let's just start with B. And it's never, ever, ever where the side of pain is. That's my philosophy. So you understand your, yeah, you understand your audience. You, you you know your audience. You understand who's going to be coming and see you, right? It's 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 good it's good pattern recognition because you see it enough times, and and you you kind of understand at least the commonalities. Like we said in the beginning, it's incredibly subjective, but there's still some commonalities with people in pain, right? You pick up patterns. It's 
it's kind of what being a clinician is about is understanding clinical patterns and understanding certain things. Well, that's why I like primal because I don't give a shit who you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care where you were born. I know these innate primal things are there. So it's not subjective for me uh, for that because I know that that's the way the body reacts. If you come at me, I mean, I'm going to be threatened. So I'm going to deal with that. So I'm not chasing all these, um, you know, things that we have of subjective semantics on that. I'm going back from the, the work that I've done over the years to try to look at human behavior and neuroscience and the brain in regards to not so much just trying to not not really trying to figure out pain i mean i think that's like trying to figure out if if, where's the end of the universe and if there's a god i mean it's always it's it's talking about pain i swear to god if you go on the internet these ways you might as well talk about death and taxes or something like the taxes or politics or something like that because it's gonna it's gonna start a shit storm uh so it's never gonna get anywhere in my opinion but uh when i get when i went back and i just started to look at what the drivers are for human survival if you tap into that that's the part of your brain that, in my opinion, is absolutely laughing hysterically at how stupid people are at the, at the front of the brain. So we, we tend to get into in our own way by overthinking things, in my opinion. And so uh, break that down for us. What, what is the primal thought process? What part of the brain runs that? Um, how do you how do you break that thought process down when when you see somebody? Sure. Well, I mean, we the, most of us listening know about the brain, right? And you've got your prime, primal brain, right? Uh, you know, this is that limbic one, the fight, flight, survival. Like I said before, uh, you know, most most things in life are because we're here on this planet to procreate. So your job is to actually sleep with somebody else, right? So um, then you've got to eat in order to do that. I mean, yeah, exactly, man. I wish I could do that more often. Um, and then you've got uh, the survival, that fight or flight. So you know, I'm going to tap into those with regards to what your nervous is, because that's what pain is, right? I mean, pain is just telling you that there's a dangerous signal of something going on. Pain is a, a great communicator of your body to tell you, hey, Perry, there's something wrong here, but it's really stupid at telling you what it is. Um, it just, you've got to look beyond that. And I'm not saying that you don't treat pain. I mean, sometimes it's just that simple where if your elbow hurts and, and I treat your elbow, well, that's great. I mean, if it gets better, hallelujah, pat yourself on the back. I mean, you did what you sat in class for to learn how to do, right? And whether you figured that shit out or not, I don't know. But then if it doesn't get better, well, then you got to use your brain. You got to use your head and you have to look at how the body connects together. And the only way you're really going to piece that through is by talking to someone and watching them move because movement to me never lies. I mean, people lie to you face to face all the time and they'll consciously lie to you. Um, or maybe they've, uh, blocked some emotional things that they're not telling you. But if I watch you move and I put you in various situations, so my movement exam is very in depth. I don't, I hardly do any orthopedic tests at all. To me, they're completely useless. Um, and plus I know most of them have been done to you already. And I'm like, okay, well, it hurts when you cross your leg over your line on the table. Well, what good does that do me when you stand up on two feet and you actually take a step forward and you're doing the most complicated movement pattern on the planet Earth, which is gait. But we take it for granted because it's just so simple to do. So I put you in many different patterns to watch where your threshold is, to watch where and it, it comes with time of knowing and being a 
being able to see the telltale signs that the body shows you when it's under threat. I mean, it's just kind of stuff that like the special ops FBI guys do. Like I can tell whether you're lying to me when I watch your eyes or I watch your posture and I watch these subtle things that you're doing. So it's really basically reading the body from the moment that I see you until um, you leave my office that first time. Um, so what patterns are you looking for? How do you, how do you know a pattern is, is a culprit versus just, just a pattern that that's crept up where they have? Yeah, actually, um, I want to jump on that too. Um, last time I, we spoke, you were still using the top tier SFMA. Are you still using that as the jumping points? And before we continue with Perry telling us about the SFMA, Let's hear a word from our sponsor, Ascend, which is the ultimate business summit for rehab professionals. Check out ascendevent.com to get your tickets. Now, I promised you a discount code for being an awesome Therapy Insiders listener, and you get just that. Head over to ascendevent.com and type in code THERAPYINSIDERS to get $100 off each ticket. Pretty cool, right? So... What is Ascend Event? I'm sure you've been hearing us talk about it, and Dr. Ben Fung and I are presenting at this year's event talking about digital marketing and how important it is for businesses. So we're really, really excited about it. But it's not just for business owners. It's not just for CEOs. It's not just for COOs. If you are working in a business, you should know that business because it helps you understand how everything runs. It helps the team come together. But I also wanted to learn a little bit more about Ascend and some of the speakers and what what was the genesis of it. So I grabbed Dr. Heidi Janenga, president and co-founder of WebPT, to give us a little breakdown on it. So Heidi, why start a business conference? Uh, you know, we really felt like when you put and you're able to put the brightest minds in private practice PT and even OT for that matter together in one setting, truly incredible things can happen. So with Ascend, we wanted to create a very innovative environment that uh, you have the opportunity when you attend to discuss the ever-evolving world of business and learn from those who have kind of been there and done that, been there in your shoes for that matter. Um, And that will challenge you to kind of bring your private practice to that next level. And like you said, Ascend is all about business, but this is an educational event. Uh, We really feel like you're going to learn practical business tactics that you can definitely capitalize on in this this changing landscape. And first and foremost, we understand that if you're going to go to a conference, you've got to have that ROI. And so we've got nine CEUs that PTs and OTs can actually earn while they're at Ascend. We also have a lot of networking um, time during Ascend so that you can mingle with lots of different thought leaders and your colleagues to, to really um, try to gain as much as possible out of some of the strategies that you might be uh, learning within uh, the conference itself. So what kind of topics should we expect to hear at the Ascend Business Summit? Compliance changes, of course. We're going to really drive home some, some important information around outcomes. Uh, new PT and OT codes, the alternative payment system. We have a great presentation with, uh, which 
should be somewhat controversial. We've got all the different players who have opposing sort of uh, philosophies around the alternative payment models, which I think is going to be uh, some fireworks on stage, which I, I'm really excited about. Um, and then some of the payment, ref payment reform and billing issues that we're, we're all struggling with right now in private practice. So it's going to be an awesome event, um, and I hope to see all of you there. Thanks, Heidi. I'm look, looking forward to that payment reform discussion since I'm moderating. So there should be plenty of fireworks. Again, please check out ascendevent.com. Type in Therapy Insiders for $100 off. Look forward to seeing you there. Let's do some networking. And now let's get back to Therapy Insiders with guest Perry Nicholson discussing his preference for SFMA, pain, and his personal story about dealing with pain. Yeah. So, I mean, I have like a, you know, it's kind of like what we talk about. I mean, that's my straightforward, you know, blood pressure, height, you know, temperature thing. I mean, it's a baseline. When you come on in, I want to see how you can do basic fundamental patterns. But one, one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to slow your ass down when you do it. So that's one of my biggest things that I look for is people go through all these patterns, but they rush through them. They go through them very quickly. And it's hard to see things when people rush through them. And one of my taglines that I say that I learned from a really great uh, uh, trainer out there, Scott Sonnen, who trains a lot of um, you know, military and the stuff for um, homeland security, this speed hides need. So if I see you rushing through a pattern, then I'm going to assume you don't own it. Uh, you got to prove to me that you can own it fast. And how you prove to me you can own it fast is I'm going to make you do it slow. So if I make you do these patterns slowly, then I'm going to make your nervous system more vulnerable because it doesn't like to do things slow. So then I'll be able to see ultimately where you're initiating movement from, where your driver is from. And here's the rub. I mean, everybody's going to have a compensation, right? There's no such thing as perfect movement, but there's always better movement that Mashe Feldenkrais said. But I never am going to just assess and say, okay, you can't touch your toes, so I know what i got to do here. I'm going to watch you move like three, what I call three waves from Sunday. I mean, any way possible to see what I'm dealing with. So the SFMA basically lets me know what I'm dealing with and how well you how comfortable you feel moving uh, whether I think it's a mobility or stability problem and I'll tell you right now I think everything's a stabilization problem so I always go back to that and then I put you into more of the assessments that I've created over the years where I look at your ability to control transverse plane and a lot of these uh, sling assessments and stuff like that that I do that's coming out in my book in January. It's just the, the um, kind of most successful way that I found to um, to see how these patterns are functioning together. Um, so everybody's going to have a little bit of a different one in regards to stronger in one, all right, or less efficient in one. And I just got to see where you're uh, what we call your primary bleed is, but here's the thing too: is I mean, many people have got movement dysfunctions, and they don't have any pain at all, right? And that's just the same as saying, "Yeah, you got a herniated disc in your back," and like, "Oh, thanks, that's news to me. I don't feel anything." And then you got some guy who you can't find anything, but he can't bend over. So then it always, then it comes back to what we were talking about before, like the pain tolerance. But you guys have seen it before, right? I mean, I, I do this drill all the time where somebody knows that bending over forward hurts their back, 
So if they even think about bending forward, well, the back's going to hurt, right? I mean, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I've done some uh, outside external cueing where I'll have somebody play with a balloon with me or I'll say, I'm going to come at you slowly with this stick and I I want you to just not let the stick come in contact with your body. And after the drill, they've been moving 360 degrees top down level and not a lick of pain because they weren't thinking about it. They got they got out of their own way. So that's some of the things that with the, the program that I do is to help you get out of your own way because you kind of get married to your dysfunction. Right. You're removing the association that the brain tags to a position or a movement with just other novel movements. It's- yeah, and even getting you out of, okay, I'm going to give you corrective exercises now. Well, you're already in a mode of vulnerability and self-protection because maybe these things hurt you before or you've been doing them and they didn't do shit for you. Uh, so I'm going to get you into uh, moving like people don't normally move, which is rotation, level changes, high to low, low to high, and uh, all sorts of different ways for you, but not call them, uh, I hate the word corrective anyway, uh, because that entails that something's broken. Uh, The way I look at it is all this pain, all this discomfort, you know, the tightness and fascial restrictions. And I say to people, is it functional or dysfunctional? To me, it's highly functional. I mean, your body's doing its job. If it didn't do that, you'd be really screwed. So it's actually highly efficient um, with a compensation. We just want to help it be efficient without the compensation. So it's like functional dysfunction, right? I'd rather have you functional functional if, if I can get to it. But, you know, that's that's the whole thing is to get people into envi- environments. Uh, so if you can change, first of all, in my opinion, the easiest way you're going to be able to change somebody's mood is to change the environment that they're in first. So that's why I do all of my rehab on the ground. I don't do shit on two feet at all until you can prove to me you can go to the ground first. And then uh, I'll have the task that I'm going to have you do. And then the last thing I'm going to pay attention to is the uh, individual because the individual usually ends up changing themselves when you change the environment and the task, if that makes sense. So it, comes, it still comes back to perception, right? You're taking one perception um, sure. and, and telling them that it's wrong in, in a good way because that perception is unbroken. Usually I can't do this. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, no, that, that, that perception is wrong. Here's why it's wrong. And you give them a different perception, which is that danger input is lower. You can do this. You can do that. And then you prove it to them by putting them in the position to succeed, like you said, putting them in yeah. um, on the ground and then building them back up. Exactly. And the key is you have to get you have to get the perception they're aware of and the perception they're not aware of. What I mean by that is that people can consciously know that they're fearful of uh, a movement, right? Or consciously uh, they're latched on to something. It could be an, an emotional type thing. But uh, the one I'm interested in is the non-conscious one. That's the primal one that's always working to CYA, you know, cover your ass. And uh, so the way I look at it is you don't even know that threat is there. I know it's there because you're in freaking pain. I mean, it's really simple for me. If you're in pain, I know it's there. So I'm going to go to it and just reset it back to where you felt safe, where you felt stable, where you had no worries in the world at all. Right. Uh, Which is back down on the ground with with a sense of uh, safety and 
protection for you. And then we can, we're building up that non-conscious part to help bleed over into the conscious part. Because I, I, the way I look at it is you can consciously try to force yourself to overcome fears and things like that. But that primal brain's always going to be kicking in the background and that one rules the universe right there. That's the thing that where you do something, you're like, why the hell did I do that? That's the part that's going all the way back to when we were just clubbing stuff and we could just grunt. Uh, you know, our bodies uh, have changed very little at all, if any, over these hundreds of thousands of years. So they're not keeping up to the environment that we're in. Um, so that's, that's a big thing that I think is that the bodies are the same, but the environment's vastly different and we're not adapting to it very well. Actually, don't you think we've evolved beyond these primal reflexes? Like, you know, we, we don't have the same lifestyle as we did back then. No, you can't evolve around primal. They're there. I mean, like if I come at you and threaten you, I mean, your first instinct is a fight or flight, right? And the primal instinct of uh, moving away from pain and discomfort and moving towards safety and stability and away from vulnerability. I don't care if I come a hundred thousand years from now and everybody's got holographic images of shit. I can just throw fake stuff up in front of you and freak you out. Right. So I don't think that stuff's ever going to change, at least from where we are now to where we came from. No, not at all. So you mentioned the limbic system earlier on and the, the limbic system, correct me if I'm wrong, nurse and, and, and Perry, by the way, Perry, um, one of the main reasons also I wanted to have you on the show is because I just wanted to say Perry over and over again, because that is my favorite character of any TV show, Dr. Perry Cox on Scrubs. Oh, cool. All right. Well, I'm glad you're more than happy. Keep saying it. That's cool. Uh, I've, checked, I've checked it off my list. There you go. Um, back, back to the limbic system. Limbic system is emotions, right? It controls and dictates the emotions and emotions in themselves are highly vulnerable and reactive and, we, we can't we can't necessarily put words to them it's 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 how we act how we how we uh how we physically manifest the these situations and feelings so people have a hard time saying it to you um how, how do you deal with something that might be um on overdrive and or some again correct me if i'm using the wrong language here um if the limbic system is is constantly in a reactive stage how do you get past that and help people bring it back and have more control over the situation? Well, that's a good question. And that's a tough one too. A lot of times, you know, in, in my scope of what I can do with people, I've had it to where, um, you know, uh, they've tapped into that reptilian limbic brain and they go into massive overload. I've seen this a lot with uh, physical trauma, uh, in the past from um, repeated injuries or, you know, falls or accidents. And especially when it's linked to a change in the quality of life, right? I mean, they see it in athletes a lot where they're worried about the end of their career from, uh, you know, blowing out a knee or something like that. I've also seen it with people I've worked with who've uh, had a history of a really bad emotional or physical abuses from uh, sexual abuse or um, emotional relationships that have manifested itself over in pain. And you can see it when you work with someone um, with their, their rate of breathing, their body language, and uh, you know, a lot with the eyes. And I can work on specific points um, in the body. And uh, a lot of people will almost get to a point where um, 
there's a couple of extreme emotional reactions. One is uh, just break down crying like out of nowhere. Um, and then I usually at that point, I got to cease and desist because that's the nervous system just telling you I need a break. Then you've got the uncontrollable laughter. Uh, is another one. And another one is um, anger where uh, very confrontational or, you know, then they say, uh, I don't it's just really, really uh, mean type of behavior. And you have to step back and realize, um, you know, the, because you're dealing with a living, breathing human being, not just body parts. And I work very closely with other healthcare professionals. So I send, you know, especially when people are in chronic pain, like with me, they're very close to hovering around that stage of going limbic. Um, and I work closely with uh, psychologists, psychiatrists that see them as well. Uh, and usually when people start to have that kind of a uh, breakthrough anyway with me even when we stop their pain begins to uh, subside or it begins to change for them there's so much that they're holding inside because thought changes biology right I mean how you, how you think changes everything in your uh, your your body your biology so uh, you have to really tap into that so when I when I work with athletes that are not in pain but they just can't get stronger no matter what they do it's usually because they're trying to push themselves really really hard into something and their brain and their nervous system is in a state of vulnerability and it's not going to grant strength to them so it's because it's strength is granted to you by your nervous system. So to me, it's physical strength, but it's also emotional strength. So I have stopped using the word stability in my teaching and in my office. So I only use the word safety now. So safety to me means stability, and that's how your brain thinks. So that's what I'm trying to tap into with all the work that I do. Yeah, that's um, some really interesting stuff. And I think it echoes uh, a lot of what I teach. I don't necessarily like seeing mobility and stability. I think people understand it. I just, um, just this year even have started uh, redefining it as really just being able to accept load. You either can, can accept load or you can't accept load. But in the end, you usually have to load it. Uh, whether it's a tendinopathy or something that's going to respond rapidly, you know, what we're really talking about. And, you know, I talk about this a lot in my courses and Gina's asked me a lot about this too. People are either rapid responders or they're slow responders or they're no responders. And what a lot of modern manual th therapy research is looking at now is who are the people that we we are wasting our time on and not even, I would say wasting our time, but who are the people who are not going to be able to help. And I think you and I, or in a similar position, we basically see people who are kind of at the end of the road. And a lot of these people, they still, because 80% are rapid responders approximately, 80% of these people just haven't seen the right practitioner or they haven't been given the right novel input or they haven't been made to feel safe. They haven't had their threat mitigated. And we still can hit home runs with them within four visits, right? Perry, better in four or see me no more. I just, I just took your tagline and added it to my landing page actually. There you go. That's cool. Well, yeah, I, I'm a big believer that if you give the body what it wants, it tells you it likes it quick, fast, and in a hurry. And it'll also tell you it doesn't like it by, right. by not getting better. Uh, yeah. 
And um, I never do the same thing twice to you unless I get the result that I'm looking for, and which is a significant and profound change in uh, how you move, first of all, and, and then also your your perception of uh, pain. So that's why the and and I had that helped me tap into quite honestly when when people have been through a lot uh, with chronic pain and I've been there I mean that's one of the reasons why I wanted to work with people on chronic pain because I, I had to help myself <laughs> over the course of my injuries of my life and uh, you, you've been promised a lot you've been told a lot you read uh, God forbid you read on your own on the internet and then everybody says something different or you read something and you have I have no idea what you just read. That's another pet peeve of mine. People overcomplicate the shit out of everything. And then you're naturally a little skeptical or you lose hope. And you're almost when you come into somebody, you've been there, done that. So I, I tell them straight up front, listen, I... I think I can help you, but I'm going to let my my program and my actions speak for itself. And I have my hour long eval and I tell them right then and there whether I think my program would be beneficial for them at all. And then I say, I just need four visits. We're probably going to need more than that to get you where you need to be because you've been dealing with stuff for a long time. But if I'm going to be able to help you, you will know within four visits. And if if we don't get you there, then I'm going to tell you where I think you should go that you can get it. And they're like, oh, my God, really? Like, I'm not saying it's going to be three times a week for like 50 visits or something crazy like that. And automatically they drop down this barrier that's there. And it's almost like they open themselves up of a, a bit of acceptance at that stage. And uh, when I get them to that point, you know, a, a lot of them, I say the majority of them, not everyone, because some people are just broken, but I can get their quality of life improved as best I can. But they have some uh, change in their body beyond what they've had before, because I've done a lot of things that are different from what they've had before. And um, that that's pretty much why I did it for the emotional reason for people coming on in to see me. And plus, I have that much um, belief in the way that I assess the body and my program. Yeah. So you, uh, you mentioned that you went through something like that. Do you mind sharing what that was and sure. kind of how it, how it shaped yeah. what you've, uh, what you've created since then? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Well, uh, you know, my, my first one w was significant and severe injuries from being a competitive bodybuilder for many, many years of my early life. And, uh, I herniated my L5 S1 disc three individual times and the last time was uh, probably the worst that was the most excruciating pain I've ever felt and I was out of it for like three or four months and people were saying the only way we're going to be able to do for you is to go to the surgery and I, I didn't want to go that okay, route that really uh, yeah I mean I was I was touching on caudi equina type syndromes man where I was having some issues with bladder and bowel and normally they say you got to go in for that and uh, I was not but I I 
I was still practicing chiropractor at that time, brother. And I had already gone to school for it and, uh, got hurt. And, um, I, I lost a significant amount of muscle mass in my uh, right leg and could barely ambulate. And I just had a newborn son. I was pretty much laid up on the ground and, what ended up bringing me back was my first venture into looking at movement and then also the only therapeutic device that I use right now which is deep tissue high power laser therapy that combined with my uh, movement uh, helped bring me back combined with my chiropractic it was the combination of all three that uh, worked well because just the chiropractic alone didn't do it for me after the second one and um, then the other time was when I was diagnosed with um, cancer so I had um, um, throat cancer and uh, thyroid and lymphatic gland cancer and most of my uh, upper uh, torso and um, had to go through uh, multiple surgeries and I think for me that was a big uh, moment because one, uh, you know, I mean, the fear of not being alive, of course, but I, I remember how uh, I was treated overall by uh, the healthcare community, at least the ones I came in contact with. And I just thought to myself, good God, I do this for a living. And I felt like I was so uh, outside of being a human being, like a piece of meat. And, and I knew what was going on. And I could only imagine what's happening for an individual that's not in this business. And that forever changed my, uh, the way that I talk to people, the way that I interact with people, the language that I choose to use when I speak to someone, um, that's huge. Uh, so I, and then after that cancer as well is when I took it upon myself to really look at my own body and my lifestyle and the movement that I was doing. Cause I went back to movement stuff, but I kind of gravitated more towards bodybuilding at that point. But then I got really big into nutrition and then full body movement and stuff like that. And then that, I think those two experiences lit the fire for me to uh, go to the proverbial, uh, why of stuff, you know, like, okay, you, you got a diagnosis of say lateral epicondylitis, but that doesn't tell you anything about what the problem is. That's just like, you've got this. Okay. Well then now you have to look and figure out why. And then that's been my life mission ever since to figure out the whys. And here's the rub. The why changes for every person because every person moves differently. <laughs> that's uh, that's an incredible story. I know Erickson wants to ask you about the laser, uh, but before he does, I want to follow up real quick. Um, the experience that you had, you know, a life altering experience facing, you know, staring death in the face, which is terrifying. Um, I feel like that, you know, again, going back to perception that you can have two perceptions from that one, anybody that comes to you would have a jaded perception of you're bitching at me with back pain. Don't you understand what I went through? You know, you, this is not life or death. This is back pain mm. or vice versa, which sounds like you have is I faced some of the potentially most agonizing pain there is, which is facing potentially death, right? That's, that's psychological pain. That's uh, that, that's tough that most people don't deal with until end of life. Um, but because of that, do you feel like that has given you more empathy and more understanding and, and your barrier to deal with people so much more than before? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, uh, 
the things happen in your life for a reason. And it's usually in our most difficult moments that if we really step back and we can look at them, they change the course of your life. And uh, it, it takes a lot of courage to do that sometimes. I mean, I always joke around that the universe has one job and it's to kick your ass. And it wants to see if you've got what it takes to stay strong and keep going forward. And that ass kicking is usually where you get your biggest lesson. So for me, uh, it, it really helped me uh, look at things in a completely different way. And it got me on the track to one of my favorite words that um, helps me um, understand another human being and understand movement and pain. And it's a word that I came across by reading the work of someone I enjoy quite a bit. And some many people know her. Her name is Brene Brown. And she uses the word vulnerability a lot. And that that's one of the primal traits as well that we have. I mean, everybody's going to have a sense of vulnerability to themselves and they can cover it up um, very nicely sometimes, but we also have that need for uh, community of acceptance of value and praise and appreciation and it being around um, other people, whether, whether we think we do or not. Uh, I believe that's a primal thing of just tribes of gathering together. Because if you're not, if you're alone, you're dead, right? I mean, you innately gravitate towards other people. So I think that's a really big, powerful thing with, uh, if you can have that kind of community with the patient base that you're working with, or especially when you gravitate towards a particular condition, uh, then all, and the internet has been really great that way. It's been able to connect people together that are going through a similar struggle, right? And you have all these support groups that can talk to each other and support each other. I mean, that absolutely is, um, you can't even put that into words, how valuable that is. And it's also, in my opinion, the single biggest reason why cross CrossFit is so successful. I don't even think it's the workout that, that, that makes it successful. I mean, it's a, it's a kick-ass program. I've never seen any program develop a body like CrossFit, but it's the, um, the community that goes with it that helped it expand like wildfire. So that's kind of my mission when I go out and I teach with my primal movement chains, moving beyond mobility courses. I want to have a a like-minded group of people that can begin to see the body the same way, but also give support and reassurance to people that they're um, working with and uh, it it grows from there. So like Steve Jobs said, I I have a small goal and it's to put a ding in the universe. So I'm going to try my best to do that. (laughs) Yeah, I got to jump on some of the stuff you've been saying too um, before I even ask you the laser question. Uh, Everyone would know who's familiar with my work that I love pain science and it sounds like Perry's been reading up on some pain science. Um, And, uh, you know, I've been, I took Butler's first pain science course in 2002 and most people think it's a new thing. I hear, you know, they're they're like reading about pain science. They're like, oh, it's it's new or, you know, biosexual is coming out in like even um, major uh, like news publications and all that stuff is great. But, you know, Perry got his ass kicked a while ago and it changed him. And I think you know, recently I, you know, I had a wrist issue when I was down teaching with Gene in December, it went away. So I thought it was, I thought it was, um, 
like assist. And then it came back right before I taught in June. And I don't think it has anything to do with me teaching because I teach all the time. It just happens to pop up now and then. But I, you know, I last taught in early June and it is still around and it is literally sometimes 50% better or 0% better no matter what I try. And I've, I, I feel like in order to really have empathy, not only do you have to have your ass kicked, like Perry says, but you have to have it done repeatedly because we all forget trauma. You know, we've all seen patients who are like, oh yeah, I fractured my leg. Which one? I don't know. You know, because literally if we didn't forget about trauma and we didn't start to feel safe again, we wouldn't be able to go on. So I feel like I have this, again, like a newfound empathy and almost even I can see how someone would be angry at pain science. I feel like I know a lot about pain science and perceived threat, but now I feel, now I know how Lorimer Mosley felt when he blogged a couple of years ago about having a super painful frozen children. He's like, I went to get a cortisone injection. People are giving him all this advice. He's like, I don't even want advice. I just find it fascinating that I know all the stuff about pain and I'm still in pain. I mean, like, you know, it's... It, I think, oh yeah, it's just perceived threats. I mean, when I wear a brace, I have no pain. I take the brace off and I hold my baby and it's the most painful thing in the world. Like literally holding my baby in my dominant hand is so painful. And if someone were to tell me, and I wasn't a clinician, oh yeah, it's just like perceived threat. It's all in your brain. I mean, I can see, I, I would flip out right now, you know? So it's like, not only do you need to get your ass kicked, but I think, again, it needs to be often enough that you can actually have empathy. Because if it's it's been so long ago that you had a life-changing event and you may have you may forget how to empathize with people who are currently going through it. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely. And I, I think that um, you know, with regards to you know being in pain, because everybody's going to be in pain, right? I mean, physical pain and emotional pain. If, if you're going to do anything in this world, it's going to happen to you. But one of the things that I loved about what... Um, uh, Mashe Feldenkrais would do is that, you know, people would be in pain and something, right? To say it hurts when you, you move your hip. Well, then you get them into a position where they move the rest of their body a ton, right? So if your right hip hurts, well, they just move your left one a, 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 a lot, right? And then that'll feed forward and carry over to the other one, but also get you down into uh, on the ground where his work was done into ranges of motion where you didn't feel pain. So then you could start to embrace pain-free movement and build up that, um, I don't know if the word, right word is confidence, but you don't have that fear then you'll see that, yes, you can get into that and you can build yourself up uh, from there. So one of the biggest things that I do for people is that if your right shoulder hurts, I do a ton of stuff to your left. If your right hip hurts, I do a ton of stuff to your left and also to the rest of your body. And imagine that the painful side usually gets better because most people have just been attacking where the pain is and it's a classic eye to off, right? I mean, the phrase I think that kicks the ass of anything I've ever heard, where do you think it is? It ain't. I mean, like, how beautiful is that? I think, I think we should leave the laser as a teaser for the next time. I, I think it should, it should sure be he's not going to just do like one minute on laser, but man, I, I was, I was wondering if you still use light cure. So oh, yeah, sure. So for part two, we'll talk about, things that Harry does to enhance movement because we all have our, our our tips and tricks to basically 
reset the nervous system. And like I say, whatever our tips and tricks are, it is just to get someone moving better without you. Yeah. And the, the dirty little secret is they'll work. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, that's really hard for people to hear. Spoiler alert, Perry. No, sorry, guys. You know, I mean, it's, but you know what I think awesome, it is, man. is that everybody, I think, honestly, I think we can all agree that everybody who's out there with their own viewpoint on stuff, I think we're all trying to go for the same goal, and that's to make the world a better place, help people as much as we can. So I think we have the same paradigm. We're just using different methodologies to get there. And uh, hopefully we can all come together a little bit more and, and share at least in that one thing. Kumbaya. It's not to prove hey, I'm wrong because that's what it's, that's what social media seems to be for. <laughs> right. Well, well, most of us then aren't assholes all the time. Right. Most of us are assholes some of the time, but um, at, at least most of us are altruistic assholes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Barry, where uh, where can our listeners find you? More stuff about you? Oh, things like well, that. thanks. Yeah, I mean, well, it's pretty easy to find stuff on me. I'm I'm kind of like a virus. So if you uh, if you type in uh, "stop chasing pain" uh, on any search engine, my stuff will show up. And uh, my website is kind of like my central hub for things. And you can see about my workshops that I have all over the world, and my membership site. And you can also get my book uh, available for pre order on Amazon as well via my website and uh you, you find a lot of stuff and uh i just say that whatever you see on the first three or four pages that show up on google that's cool i can't speak for what's going to show up afterwards from five on but hopefully it's not too much stuff i tried to erase a lot of it i might dude i mean i've been doing this shit for a long time i mean i've been i've been in the arena for um, many many years just trying to do my little part to uh help so uh it's really amazing though when i look back on uh, on my early stuff you know it's so many things I think Greg Rose has said, I mean, if you're still teaching the same stuff for the same way two years from now, then you aren't evolving. And so uh, it, it's always a continual quest to get better and learn. And, you know, I people seem to think for me that I'm some anti-research, anti-science guy. And I'm like, I'm the farthest from it. I mean, I'm also a professional healthcare provider and I need to keep my licensure, which I do. And then I study science as my favorite book, right? Remote Control by Ann Shumway Cook. And I read articles all the time. I just don't hold myself hostage to it. So I, it's uh, seeing the, the full spectrum, I, I think, is important for both sides yeah so that's uh talking points for next time Erson. science and lasers science and lasers, pew, pew. lasers. um yeah absolutely I, right on with you i, I think it, it's a lot more concerning if after a year or two or three and definitely four or five that if you're not embarrassed by something you've said then something's gone horribly wrong i mean it, it's just a natural not natural change i think of of high level high skilled professionals is that that evolution and learning and just saying shit that you're embarrassed about that's right i i give it three or four years i say you should be practicing and thinking differently every three or four years so awesome agreed agreed well perry man thanks so much for joining us um looking forward to getting this out there i'm sure it's going to get some some good discussions going and we'll have to get you back for part two Thanks for tuning in to Therapy Insiders with guest Perry Nicholson. Hope you enjoyed that episode and Perry's insight into into pain and definitely his story of kind of going through it and uh, his unique perspective 
going through the healthcare system. So if you want any more information, check out Perry, check him out on Twitter, check him out on, on his website. And as always, check us out at updocmedia.com. Tweet at me at Therapy Insiders, Urson at D-O-M-P-T, and Joe at Joe D-P-T. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Let us know what you thought of the episode, and let's get a conversation going.